Hi, and welcome to this episode of I've Got This Kid. I'm your host, Sharina Williams, speech and language pathologist, homeschooling mom, wife of one, and excited podcaster. So listen up, everybody. We are continuing getting the ball rolling with the Living With series. And today I am just ecstatic to have one of my favorite people in the world, Kelly, with us, who is living with a son who has autism. Kelly, I'm going to let you introduce yourself. Take it from you. Sure. So uh, my name is Kelly and I have a three-year-old, almost four-year-old son, Graham, and he is considered a high-functioning autism. So when did you find out? So um, it's, it's interesting. Um, I started noticing something was off when he turned two, just around when he was two. And at first it was just a, a speech delay, which is what I went to uh, our pediatrician with. Um, and then we went to the regional center um, and they diagnosed him not with autism um, and not with a speech delay, but with some infant development skills that were behind feeding himself um, a couple other things. So at that point, I um, went and researched for a speech therapist because I knew that my son was behind. He wasn't talking the way he should be. Um, and then after a few months with Sharina, I pursued an autism evaluation just because he had some behaviors that uh, were a little bit concerning. Right, right. And I find your story so intriguing and you're like, you're probably like, why? <laughs> because of your keywords, I took my son in to get evaluated and he wasn't diagnosed with a speech delay. He was just behind in a few areas. And so parents, listeners out there, I want you guys to know that you can take your son in. How old was Graham when you initially took him in? He was, he was, he was barely he was just two. about two. Yeah, he was just barely yeah. two. Yeah, he was barely two when he first went in. And Kelly was noticing some things were going on and they told her, no, <laughs> this is not that he's not behind. This is not happening the way that you think that he it's happening. Maybe something along the lines of let's wait and see what happens. But she trusted her gut and decided to seek out speech therapy. Parents, trust your gut. That, that's my key point. And that's what makes their story so intriguing is that she continued to persist and pursue seeking out services just because based on other kiddos she may have seen, she knew something wasn't lining up the way that it was supposed to be lining up with him. So that's why I find your story so intriguing. And going through this process, you started speech therapy. What was it like for you to find out like, hey, some of these behaviors aren't necessarily related to speech and language development? How was that process for you in your general response? Yeah, so um, I think it was one of our first sessions with you, Sharina. Uh, we didn't do a lot of speech therapy. We did a little yeah. bit more sort of behavior management and getting Graham to attend so he right. could do therapy. And just watching that process <laughs> made me think, huh. And I should say Graham does have a twin. So I do have a direct comparison 
to a normal peer. And, and so, you know, I think enough of those sessions made me think there might be something else other than speech going on here. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Right. And, and I do remember like it was yesterday, this was a few years ago, guys. And I remember like it was yesterday, that first session. And I saw Kelly kind of sitting in the background, like, why are we doing this? <laughs> I was like, well, <laughs> If we can't get him to attend, then we won't be able to get any information in because he won't be paying attention to us. And so without me saying a whole lot, Kelly is just she's pretty witty, like she's pretty with it. And so she was like, OK, <laughs> let me ask some extra questions. What's going on? And so because of I, our relationship, Kelly and my relationship, we, we hit it off immediately. It was easy to have that conversation like these are the things that I'm seeing and it might not hurt just to see if we can get more information about what may be going on. So how did your family members support you throughout this process? So I do have a sister who is a speech therapist um, and I think she has been the most helpful to me. And she's been really supportive of getting any and all services. Uh, she understands the process, at least with the school districts. And so that was really helpful. And then, you know, my parents and my husband's parents also live near us. And I don't think it was ever an issue. You know, we all just want the best thing for, for Graham. And we all believe that he's capable of, you know, independent, normal life. And so that's just sort of our our goal. Yes. Yes. And so listeners out there, her family is wonderful. Like she's not, <laughs> she's not over exaggerating. Her in-laws were super active in bringing him to sessions when she was unavailable. She would take off Kelly, that is, would take time off of work to come and observe what was going on so she can generalize those therapy goals in the home. And not only that, we would also follow up after sessions and have 10 minute conferences, phone conferences where we would talk about how things went and what to work on and not even just what was happening in therapy, but really how things were going at home and how goals were being executed at home and what was working and what wasn't working. And, you know, when things would become a stumbling block, like how do I deal with this or how do I deal with that? Or how do I rethink this idea? Because we haven't quite overcome this goal. We still need to work on it, but we might be bored with the way <laughs> that we're approaching it. Right. <laughs> so Kelly and her family have been outstanding as far as just being a part of the community. In fact, his school was also really great about being a part of it, asking me questions when I would go on site visits, like, what is it that we can do to help? How can we take what you're doing and do it in the classroom? Or, you know, the things that we're seeing here, is this normal or what does this mean? And so they have, when I say strong community I mean, they have wonderful community around them. And so I encourage you guys out there, again, do not do this alone. You don't have to be an island. Um, Kelly also has the benefit of a speech and language pathologist as a sister. Yay! <laughs> Which uh, <laughs> I'm telling you, like, 
Kelly would talk to her sister. She would talk to me. And it was like, I've never had a conversation with her sister in my life, but somehow we were able to organically collaborate together and just talk about things and, and really create a, and that was tailored for this family and that worked for this family outside of the family support and them being so supportive it seems like everything just kind of naturally fell into place with them. How about tools like advocating to find tools to help you throughout the process? What were some tools that you found yourself needing or using throughout the process? So tools, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think we had, I, I used a lot of tools. I, I relied on my sister a lot, right? But I would say, you know, for people who aren't familiar with processes and things, there are some good um, places, at least in the Bay Area, East Bay Area. One of the biggest things is I learned never go into any meeting, an IEP, a meeting with the regional center or someone without knowing, you know, what you want out of it and at least having an idea of what you think they can provide because they will right. always push back. Right. Right. And understanding that it's okay to ask questions and it's okay to go in knowing what you need. And not only that, it's okay to challenge the why, why I may agree, why I may not agree. A lot of times the why is usually why I don't agree in these meetings. And I think Kelly, for you, a large part of that, of understanding what the needs were was spending that time with Graham and taking out the time to understand the kind of kid he is, not just, you know, a kiddo who may not be meeting developmental milestones as compared to his twin or not just a kiddo who is not using language the way that you see his twin or maybe same age peers doing, but really understanding like, who is this guy? You know, yeah. <laughs> what kind, what kind of guy is he beyond all of these things, instead of just focusing in on the things that he may not be doing, but understanding like the character of him and what will and will not work for him. Understanding that parents is key. I think that a large part of why Kelly was so successful in addition to everything else, she didn't just do one thing, but she did everything as far as understanding Graham, as far as understanding how to advocate for what his needs are. She continues this process. It's a lifelong process. As far as getting the family members on board, like all of these things are so important for the overall long run so he can be most successful. What was the biggest challenge you did find in these meetings as far as like your IEPs and meeting with regional center and regional center for you guys is our early head start. They're not a program for like a preschool, but they provide services for children who may be at risk. Every state sure. has one. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I think so you go into all of these meetings and usually before them, you have to do a bunch of parent questionnaires about your child. Um, right. 
and you've never seen these evaluations in your life and they're asking you these questions and half the time you're you're like well I don't I don't necessarily know. <laughs> I, I didn't pay attention <laughs> to that thing. Um, or you're overly, at least for me, I was overly optimistic. Sure, Graham can do a three-part uh, <laughs> Yeah, he can do that. No problem. Once in like a blue moon. <laughs> so, uh, you know, getting hit up with all the evaluations was really, was really tough. Um, and then just, you know, trying to figure out how to answer those questions to accurately reflect how your child is doing. That's really tough because he was so young. There's, there's a broad spectrum of what is um, normal. Right. Right. Um, And then I guess the other thing would be, you know, you sit in these rooms, you're the parent, you have your child, and then you usually have like two or three other people who are evaluating your child at one time. And so that's just a little, uh, it can be overwhelming, but you just have to, you are your child's expert. Right. And so, you know, just remembering that, you know, these people, they may have a lot of degrees and they may be very smart, but they don't know your child. Right. You couldn't have said it better than that. <laughs> you could not have said it better than that. And I think what would be, if you could, what would be something you would do differently going into the meetings? If or or if you were telling a new parent how to prepare. Yeah, I would say um, for evaluations, understand what the question and make sure you really understand what the answer means. So do they mean if, if your child does this every once in a while, do they do it all the time? Because those are the ways that you get qualified or not. And if you have any doubt, you put no, you're more conservative towards being low, essentially, would be my, my advice. And yet just know, you know, have an idea of what the meeting is going to be about. You know, mm-hmm. ask people if there's a, a group around. Just don't go into a meeting sort of blind, would be my right. advice. Right, right. And it is so important from the parent's perspective, because honestly, we as the professionals in our mind, we do have an idea of what we expect our kiddos to be doing at certain ages. So you're you're spot on when you say be smart about your child and know your child before you go into these meetings, because we do come in with these ideas and we're looking and we're observing. We're observing from the time you hit the waiting room <laughs> until the time that you leave. And we're we're looking at everything with a fine tooth comb. And so it is so important that during that time, not only do you understand what you're answering, but also asking follow-up questions if you don't understand. Like I love questions and I love when parents ask me questions. Because it helps me educate them because I know for the way that I treat and the kind of therapist that I am that I'm going to be educating them either way it goes. If they end up on my caseload, then I'm going to be giving them this information. I'm going to be teaching them how to advocate. I'm going to be teaching them how to seek out these tools. And so the more that they know and understand on the front end, the easier it is to collaborate with them and go through the therapeutic process. So parents out there, when you are going into these these meetings and people are, you know, they're deciding really 
big things for your child. They're making decisions about your child. You know, imagine if Kelly would have said after that first evaluation that was done, if she would have taken the results and just been like, oh, nothing's wrong and just kind of went on her way. Then two years later, I don't think that the progress that has been made would have been made. And so not just, you know, knowing the developmental milestones, but knowing what is expected. Like, is your child gaining five to seven new words a week after 24 months? Um, Do they have 10 words by 18 months? You know, have they spoken their first words? Are they consistently responding to their names? Are they paying attention to you, especially at two? Because two, they are pretty much all in your world and they want you to be a part of everything. Are they doing those things or do you find them more interested and off to themselves or they're not really using language unless they're interested in you doing something for them, but not really sharing that moment with them. Like if you're not picking up on those things and paying attention to those things and just saying, Oh, they're, you know, a pretty easy laid back. Then you miss the mark. And so going into these meetings, especially if you have a kiddo like Graham, because he is high functioning. (laughs) And if you're not paying attention, he's pretty with it. And he knows how to kind of um, navigate to kind of get out of things if he needs to. So he could have easily been overlooked. But his mom was just on top of it. She was on top of him and just didn't accept that no. And she also, again, has a speech pathologist who's a sister. So (laughs) That helps as well. So what were some of the biggest adjustments you had to make? Yeah, so I think the biggest adjustment is therapy isn't just an hour a week. It is something that you should take at least one thing home um, a week from each session and apply it at home because really that's where the progress is going to be made. So I take sort of therapy as, okay, um, I like to check in with Graham's therapist and okay, well, what can we work on this week? And, Mm -hmm. and that was a big adjustment. And we, my husband and I have three kids. So carving out a little bit more time for, for Graham was another adjustment to try and set, you know, a few minutes aside to really connect with him because he doesn't connect the same way as other people. But I think it was useful, actually, for our family because it made us more aware and you can apply it to general ed kids. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you can. (laughs) So becoming more intentional. Yeah. And I just thought of one more. Actually, we had to open our home to therapists. So that was different. Mm -hmm. And so that was a little bit different. It was it's great. We have really great therapists, but it was an adjustment to sort of your home is you know, every day there's someone in our home that isn't, you know, technically a member of our family. And so that was, that was just a little different. It's been great. And we love all of the people that are helping out Graham, but it was different. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) Especially because therapy for him now is five days a week. Correct. Correct. Okay. So that is a huge adjustment. (laughs) That is a huge adjustment. And I imagine that's something that probably caught you guys off guard as well. Like, oh, my gosh, like this is our new norm. We went from Graham having therapy outside of the home to now not only does he have it outside the home, but now we have it in the home. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) How do the little ones do with that? How does everybody kind of do with that or adjust to that? 
It is um, difficult uh, because, of course, our other two want to be involved and they do get involved every once in a while. But, you know, you have to keep them occupied. And also Graham wants you to be involved in his therapy. So Mm -hmm. luckily, my husband and I, his parents are around. So there's two people at home usually. And we have a, a bigger house. And so Graham has a room for therapy. And then the other two have, you know, space somewhere else. Nice. Nice. And because Graham does have peers at home, how does he do with them? So his siblings, he does great in general. Um, You know, sometimes, you know, because his communication isn't amazing, he will uh, get physical. But he's really gentle in general. It's just that that is one of the ways he can clearly communicate if he's someone has right. taken his toy, you know, <laughs> he doesn't like that. <laughs> um, but yeah, so his siblings think he's um, pretty normal when he was at his preschool. Um, kids were starting to notice that he was not the same as everybody else. Um, but I don't think his siblings quite understand that yet. Yeah. They, you know, we're, we're very much, you know, Graham is his own. He is normal, but you know, he's just his own person. Right. Right. And does he gravitate towards younger kids or older kids? Like if he's in a, in a larger setting, you know, he is still pretty, um, independent. Okay. But I would say, um, with gymnastics, he's in a class that's, uh, with two and a half year olds. And that is about the appropriate he fits right in there. Okay, good, good. Because then he's able to get those skills and develop those skills that he may not have caught at that time. And funny enough, a lot of times kiddos who are diagnosed with autism, especially when they're younger, will gravitate towards older kids because older kids tend to give in. Whereas younger kids give a little bit more of a run for your money. But the older kiddos tend to be like, oh, they're cute and little, so I'm going to give them what they want. So putting him, again, that intentionality of giving him exactly what he needs, putting him in that place that is developmentally appropriate for him is going to pay off so much. It's going to pay off so much. Is there anything you would have approached differently in this process? So I, I do think I would have been maybe even more pushy <laughs> than, I, than I was uh, at the start. You know, you always have your doubt. And luckily, I had a backstop of you and my sister um, to say, no, you're not off. You, you should do this. But one of the things is with Regional Center, um, we were all set to go to transfer him to the school district actually not transfer him to the school district potentially, except for uh, speech therapy. And uh, they had even said, well, you know, I don't think Graham has autism. You don't need an evaluation. Okay. Yeah, that'll be fine. But I decided to do it because there were just enough things that were worrying me that, that I, I pushed a little bit more. And so I would just say, you know, you really have to trust your gut that I would have done differently. Um, Speech. As I think speech has been great for Graham. We have struggled with uh, OT, which um, Serena knows. Uh, Graham isn't a traditional um, OT child. 
So um, I've had the school district, I've asked about it a number of times. I've asked the regional center at some point, and we actually went to a private OT, and I just wasn't super happy with what we got out of it. Graham isn't traditional. He's not obvious that he has a problem if you, right. he doesn't flap his hands or mm-hmm. he just has a, a lack of attention, which mm-hmm. could potentially be sensory, but he doesn't stare at lights. He doesn't stare at fans. Um, mm-hmm. So he's mm-hmm. a little bit milder, but you think maybe some of this distraction could be something sensory. Right. So. Right. Right. And for you listeners out there, OT is a abbreviation of occupational therapy. Uh, occupational therapy deals with fine motor and they deal with sensory processing. So the things that you take in, how you perceive the world, how you see things, how you smell things, how you taste things, how you touch things and how you hear things. And so your brain is taking all of this information in. And traditionally, kiddos who have a diagnosis of autism also a lot of times have some difficulties with the sensory piece. And so she's right. Graham is not a traditional sensory kiddo, but he does need a lot of movement. He does need big hugs. So he might like run into you instead of like hug at you. And it's just his body kind of telling you like, hey, I need this input to help me balance things out. Or you might notice that He's toe walking because he's looking for that deep pressure, that deep input, or he likes rough play because it gives his body something to help with keeping things in the balance. And again, I can't overemphasize how on top of things this family is because they have him in gymnastics to kind of help offset that sensory need. But the actual um, therapist who can prescribe and help through that process and give real tools that they can apply in the home would be an occupational therapist. That's what she's talking about when she says OT. Do you want to add anything to that, Kelly? Nope, that's it. Thanks, Sharina. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) That's what I'm here for. (laughs) So we're going to start wrapping things up. And Kelly, what advice would you give to parents out there? Uh, so, yeah, I think I've just said, you know, trust your gut and be prepared for for these meetings because you don't get a lot of time to um, advocate for your child in these meetings, though you can always uh, come back. And that's the one thing you can always come back and say, I want them to be reevaluated. Right. So, right. If you're not happy with the results. Right. And seek a second opinion. I just want to add to that, like seek a second opinion. If you do go somewhere and get these evaluations done, it's okay to get a second opinion. It's okay to question, you know, were these results valid? Should I seek out someone else? And again, you know, there's been an ongoing underlying theme here is advocacy, the power of advocacy advocating not just for the needs of your child, but also for yourself. Because if you have this child and they're a beautiful blessing, but you're not sure how to relate to them, how to interact with them, how to teach them, how to get things in that they need in order to set them up for life, it's okay to get help. And so this family, Kelly and her family have been instrumental And making sure that not only Graham gets what he needs, but they also get what 
they need throughout the process. And so that's why I always come to you parents and say, hey, <laughs> let, you know, let's let's send out this flag and just make sure that not only are we helping our kids, but we're helping ourselves. And the biggest part of helping ourselves is helping ourselves to understand the type of kid that we have and how we can train them up and nurture them. So that's all we have for today. You've been amazing, Kelly. Thank you, listeners out there for just continuing to tune in and listen in. Autism is one of those things that, you know, the spectrum is far and wide. And while Kelly and her family have a kiddo who's more on the milder spectrum, the support is still needed. The advocacy is still needed. And the word just needs to be spread out. Don't be afraid to get yourself help and get yourself community around this. You're not an island. You don't have to do this alone. And so until the next time, y'all take care. 